What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian Beaches Down Under, a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show by Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five-star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hey, y'all! This is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian bitches down under. It is a very dreary, grey Sydney morning on a Friday. We're recording today, this morning. Friday the thirteenth. Um, oh yes, that's right. I got an email today from Roadshow, uh-huh. Roadside, Ro- one of those um like Paramount or Universal oh, distribution yeah. companies. Uh-huh. Yeah, reminding me that it's Friday the thirteenth, <laughs> and then they, in the email they listed a bunch of horror movies I can Watch get today. myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> get myself cozy in tonight with a cup of cocoa uh-huh. and watch no but i'm you know helen you know me i hate horror films yeah, you don't like horror films but you do it's watch something worst. like get out the jordan oh yeah pills get out is different type yeah of, jordan yeah. pills yeah yeah um uh when i saw us i covered my eyes for most of it oh really most of it uh, yeah a lot I still of it had was to very catch up. yeah i still had to catch up on those films yeah um yeah. speaking of um, the weather uh yes it's really dampened dampened in me and my emotions it's just like combined oh, yeah. with the onset symptoms of my period i'm crying at anything oh, okay. and really just before okay. that we started recording i was listening to an mm. interview with um stephanie shu joy from every um everything oh, yeah, yes. everywhere all at once yeah yes 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 um, the daughter yeah the daughter and on top of the side effects of the flu shot last night that i had it's Oh, I didn't know that you got that. Okay. <laughs> really devitalizing me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What did Stephanie say? What What, what was something uh, she, that she said? She spoke about the characters that she play. How it really resonated with a lot of Asian daughters out there. When When the moment that she mentioned Asian daughters, and I mm. it, I just lost it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like she starts talking about how the character is feeling everything and feeling nothing at all. Yeah, it's yeah. such a complicated um, emotion that is just hard to describe. And then when they put onto a big screen, and you feel like, yeah, that is totally relevant to my life. Totally. Speaking of getting teary about everything, and I, I am, I'm like you. Um, when people say, oh, people often women say, oh, it must be my period. That's why I'm getting overly emotional. Uh-huh. If that's the case, if that's the barometer, I have. I'm always on my period. <laughs> I am. I am like. I. I feel like. Um. I'm beginning to understand this more and more as I'm, now like getting cl- close to like very having very close relationships with people in a way that I hadn't when I was in my twenties. Mm-hmm. You know, we're settling down. Yeah. And becoming part of another family. It's like me learning a new thing about myself and <clears throat> i've learned helen that actually mm-hmm. i am uh, egregiously um, empathetic mm-hmm. like i just i am able to tear up at the drop of the smallest things honestly and um it's not a weakness it's just like i you just feel 
I can't I can't help but feel yeah. someone else's pain honestly yeah, yeah. like the smallest thing uh-huh. f- fucking lets me like get really teary easily like my empathetic um, intelligence uh, I'm just gonna call it an intelligence is mm. so high and I don't know why that is yeah. honestly I don't know why it is um I like that about myself though I'm very proud of that and in speaking that um, speaking about crying uh, I want to talk to our listeners about the Australian afterpay Australian Fashion Week oh yes which I was privileged enough yeah. Um, to attend this week and I've never been to a fashion show just so you guys y'all know that um, never <laughs> been to a fashion show never been to a fashion week but every year mm. I see pictures on Instagram and like they all look very kind of like um, Vogue-esque and mm. <clears throat> the clientele and the kind of scene the fashion scene is just so outside of the kind of my people mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, but I did go to a couple of shows one in which I want to talk about specifically is the one which made me cry and it was the first one I ever went to and that was the Adaptive Clothing Collective and that was a show it was a runway sh- that showcased on Thursday morning mm-hmm. it showcased two designers two labels I should say and each label has two different designers all white women mm. but for, for now I'm just going to disregard um, my racial lens mm-hmm. and just focus on something else um, so what's special about these two designers um, labels is that the purpose is uh, for all their label is they is to give voice and bring strength and unity of a message of um, that anyone can be involved in label uh, that anyone can be le- involved in fashion mm-hmm. Um, and their fashion desi- is designed for disabled bodies or mm-hmm. like bodies that require different th- needs. Mm. Like, for instance, like uh, their pants are created so that the back is longer than the front because, like, often their um, clients are wheelchair bound. Mm-hmm. Um, they use wheelchair, I mean. Um, some of the um, lingerie, for instance, um, Jam. So I'll mention these two designer names, labels. They're Jam, the label, and Christina Stevens. And uh, there were some lingerie that was uh, showcased on Thursday morning that had like um, your lo- lingerie that was like me- metallic clips. It wasn't like what we use, you know, those clip uh, clips that yeah. we use. Because that's really hard for some people with yes. dexterity I mean, issues. Even yeah. if you're not, <laughs> even if you're, if you're just uncoordinated as I like am. Like me, often I can't do it's it. It's very yeah. hard to clip yeah. on. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So. Um, they have metallic like, clippings, you know, and... You mean the um, magnetic ones? Yeah, magnetic, uh, yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah, it's just so... It's so it's just it's e- so much amazing easier. What, what yeah. Exactly, and, and what those two labels do is, like, so important, you mm-hmm. know, in pushing and expanding the range of... You know, like, when I think of fashion and modelling, Helen, I think of just, like, the most narrow cohort of society. Skinny, you white know? woman. Seriously, tall, yeah. Like, blonde. really, really tall, really skinny. Like, mm. I went to a couple of other fashion shows, Helen, and I saw a lot of the other models. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I never see models... Like, I probably, in my lifetime see like in de- when I walk around the streets of Sydney I probably encounter like one person in five years who looks like an actual model and in this week I saw like a do- more than a dozen of uh, models mm-hmm. right like one way models mm-hmm. and they're like just so um abnormal like they're so <laughs> tall they're, no I'm not kidding they're so tall like mm-hmm. these women are so tall and um they're very beautiful obviously mm-hmm. but they're so tall and they're so like it's, it's like seeing a rare species. Like, they're so rare. Mm-hmm. And what happened um, on Thursday morning when we when I sat through the um, Adaptive Clothing Collective runway show was that you saw just these bodies that are never 
in the fashion magazines. You saw like people with um, prosthetic limbs. You mm-hmm. saw wheelchair users. You saw people with like d- different dis- dexterity issues. Like, you know, just like people you never see kind of spotlight and given the platform to be sexy, to be beautiful. In the fashion industry. And yeah, and even now I'm getting emotional talking about it mm-hmm. because um, there's just something about that that makes me very, very, um, it makes me really sad that we're not all equally loved by society. You know, we're of not all equally not. celebrated. Yeah. It really makes me yeah. really upset. And mm-hmm. so to see these bodies run down the, um, walk down the runway, oh my God, Helen, at the end when the designers came out and all the models, like all the models were like um, disabled people, mm-hmm. you know, um, everyone around me, I re- I looked around and I was crying. Like I was really crying. And I was like, oh my God, why am I crying at a fashion show? This is mm-hmm. like pathetic. I felt like such a wimp. I was like, I don't even know any of these people. I'm not disabled myself. I don't know anyone who's disabled. What's wrong with me? And then I looked around at, looked around me, Helen. Everyone had tears mm-hmm. in their eyes. Like, it, took, it was yeah. so emotional, honestly. Mm. I think it's like a collective feeling that we are seeing inclusivity in such events that normally you don't think that you'll see. That's what I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I'm going to jump in there to kind of... I, I'm not saying that I'm going to smear the events, but I think... No, go ahead, because I'm, I'm going to counter my uh, own okay. views just now, but you go ahead. I think I know what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah, fashion week and fashion events uh, industry is always linking to for the people with wealth. So unless oh, yeah. that you yeah, have yeah. Uh, a standard, a, a level of wealth disregard your race or your body disability. Um, I shouldn't be saying that people with disability are not cannot have wealth and things like that, but I'm saying that I think there is to kind of like a gatekeeping thing. Oh, or otherwise you want absolutely. most of those pieces will still cost you, I say, hundreds of dollars. So I don't know if I don't know. I just feel like there is still a very big gap between the wealth disparity to enter or to be seen. There is still a oh, requirement. Yeah, there is still right. a requirement. You're absolutely yeah. right. So what was that you're gonna say? Yeah, I was gonna say something very similar. Um, mm. I think um, for me, um, I'm someone who's very self-reflective. So I mm. thought to myself, okay, why was I getting emotional? And every time I get emotional, I always think back to the legendary and the genius writer, Garth Greenwell, mm. who says that the moment that mainstream media uh, make you cry, you have to question why that happened. Because they are forced, like, it's, it's always almost manipulative the way they do it. Like, he, mm. he, when, he talk, when he made that point, Helen, he was talking about the Gillette ad about masculinity, mm. you know. Um, a few years yes, ago, when you know, gay, gay, yeah, gay boys were being accepted by their fucking hetero dads, and it, it made him cry. And he was like, "This is the point of Gillette. They're, they're, at the end of the they day, they want to sell products." That. So yeah, exactly. They're capitalizing on your emotions. And so when I started crying, I thought, "Well, um, I'm crying because I feel as though every single body, no matter what disability or able body you are, um, is being accepted by the mainstream." And I thought, "Well." It's being accepted this morning, but what about outside? Mm-hmm. You know, what about outside? That's this, not really the reality. This, this, this fashion week, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like you go out, you can't try and access apartments. There are so many apartment complexes, myself included, that do not have wheelchair access. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really ashamed to say that, and I'm yeah. ashamed that I didn't notice that until my partner's grandmother, who's you know 98, had to come and um, we invited her over for Mother's Day, and uh, she had to 
like walk a few steps down oh. the um because the, there were only stairs there's mm-hmm. no wheelchair access to our place you know it's um no elevators in our apartment building ridiculous you know mm. and so i thought like yes it's i felt a moment of rush this feeling that oh we're being accepted you know disabled bodies are being accepted into mainstream modeling um the nar- narrow society that that is mm-hmm. except you know it was accepted on their terms yes. you know we were parading down their mm-hmm. runway during their massive fashion week right but what about outside what about outside of you know that 50 minutes when these people who usually don't get any spotlight on them got spotlight Mm -hmm. you know like it's it it can almost be seen as just like a gesture but then how what do we do with that well what's next how is the australian fashion industry how is afterpay actually pumping in money to help disabled people exactly and all these fashion labels Mm -hmm. get more of their stuff out there mm-hmm. and you know and and to have that new message of unity out there generically you know more than more than just that one show yeah totally i agree everything with what you said it just made me think that what about all the people with disabilities outside of that runway oh absolutely you know, with exactly. the people who are struggling to get rent with the people who are struggling to apply for ndis with the people the carers as well um, exactly, the family the surrounding the people with disability. What does the fashion really got to do apart from showing it, like putting it onto exactly. in front of your eyes? I think this is going to be very similar of what we're going to be talking about it later on our episode on representation economy, which just suggested and I look into it. It's really fascinating. Absolutely. And it's so much related about a lot of things that I've been seeing this week. So yesterday I went to an Australian Writers Guild conference. Mm-hmm. It was a panel talk with producers, Australian writers, and the the purpose of the title of last night's panel was called um, Is Australian TV and Television Going to Kaput? And, it, mm-hmm. the, and, and the panellists talked about... Um, the panellists were all filmmakers and um, producers, and they talked about how Netflix is overtaking everything. Mm-hmm. They're stealing... You know, they're taking people's IPs. Um, they're exploiting a, like, talents around the world and kind of just, like, being... It's I call them as, like, a soft power. Uh-huh. Um, it's soft diplomacy, you know. Um, and everything that we stream now these days, or at least for me, I know, Helen, you're way more diplomatic <laughs> and global <laughs> consumer, but myself, um, I'm ashamed to say... 99% of what I consume is American mm. and um, they they were talking this one tremendous guy called Sam Milky or Michael I think his name was um, he was talking about how um, uh, what Netflix does it, it it takes what is there's commodity in something you know what was bankable and mm-hmm. then they exploit it and then you know the moment that they you don't make money they'll leave you and I feel like that's very much the same way with what we're talking about today mm-hmm. with the way that um, people of color are often taken advantage of mm-hmm. when it suits the white people yes. or the people in power um, and also what we were talking about with you know um, disabled bodies being showcased at Australian Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. In order to just kind of pretend that they're not completely just one one, one note, mm-hmm. you know that they can they can say, oh, we've got this diverse, di- we have diversity because we've got this, you know, one show out of like sixty that mm-hmm. has people who are not like size zero and six foot two, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a common theme around what we're talking about today, and the thing that I've been seeing with this week's fashion week. Um, anything else I wanted to say before I wrap up? Um, the Fashion Week happened at Carriage Works, which is uh, in the in the west of Sydney. It's like right near Redfern. I I went there. Um, I think two or three days this week out of the whole five days, and um, there are cameras everywhere. 
like there are media cameras as yeah, well as just like freelance week. photographers walking <laughs> yeah walking around and everyone is on their phone constantly you will never see someone not on their phone Ooh. everyone is um, scrolling through instagram or some sort of like social media platform mm-hmm. it's like a very hyper hyperactively self-conscious crowd mm. um i just like was desperate to get out the moment i got in i was like oh i need to get out it's of this place like place it was so you. uncomfortable yeah. it's so not me yeah, there were, like, people stopping me and saying, can I take a picture of you? Just, like, because I was wearing a suit. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I made sure that I wore something that looked, like, half And maybe because you're Asian. Oh, uh, no, I have to say, Helen, now that I have sort of... It seems like I've spent the last 10 minutes bashing on the Australian Fashion mm-hmm. Week when it's um, apparent tokenisms, I have to say the fashion industry is way more fucking diverse than the publishing industry in Australia. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Yeah, that's true. Every that single true. publishing... Yeah. Every single journalist or publishing in um, panel discussion, conference, any kind of gathering I've been to Australia, 99% white. Mm-hmm. And the, the fashion week I went to just now, this week, I'd say it was like 50-50, like okay. 50% white so people and then like 50% other. Seriously, yeah. yeah. It was very, very, way more gay, like sexually gay, mm-hmm. way more like sexually... Um, Diverse. Um, the spectrum of mm-hmm. sexual people way more diverse than the Australian publishing industry. Race, racially speaking, sexually speaking, it's just way more diverse. The Australian fashion industry is way more like just fashion in itself is way more encouraging and inviting of people who are not cisgender white people. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, if anything to do with publishing or journalism in Australia, honestly, it's like, very just one dimension. It's, it's yeah. most of it is white. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other day, I went to a um, an event um, with a on a Walkley Awards event and um, that was I think I saw three Asians out of a hundred white people mm-hmm. and no black people mm. no brown people Ugh. I don't know what to say about that just like yeah it's just, it's just like a normal scene it's yeah. a normal scene um, of yeah I do get a sense that fashion industry is about the visual experience as well that's why you need to have different representations of what you see I think that's the importance of it. But then again, it's the industry attitude is pretty one dimension. I think it's not it's not diverse and it's not I don't know whether or not it's gonna welcome anyone that's below you know, the income thresholds of I don't know, fifteen oh, absolutely. you know, it, there's still absolutely. A, a very big factors of wealth play into fashion absolutely. industry. And of course oh, if you're absolutely. talking about Asian that is represented in fashion industry you will still see a very narrow group of Asians that are accepted into. I'm using the word accepted because it's still, you know, the relative power is very different between yeah, people yeah, raised exactly. and white people. Yeah. So that's no, my you, I, I love that you point those things out because yeah, it is true. Like as much as I pinpoint these seemingly kind of progressive gestures, right, mm. towards my marginalized communities, at the end of the day, Helen is right. It's very still extremely narrow i think generally if you find yourself being accepted by the mainstream you cannot deny the fact that it's because you some part of you represents some part of them yeah like you could be like wealthy like them or you Mm -hmm. could be close to like um acceptably beautiful on their terms Mm -hmm. you know like them it's always Um, on their terms it's yeah yeah, Yeah. exactly Mm -hmm. There's, there's always a point of kind of um connection that you have with them in order for you for them to say hey yeah you're also like you're like, some, like, like us you know, you know you're yeah you're in some way in this yeah circle. so i'm going to welcome you yeah because you have this one thing and i think this is why i'm so 
enamored, enamored or in awe of people like SL Lim, who is just someone who lives the principles of like, I don't give a fuck about the mainstream and mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and fold myself, mm-hmm. fold myself into their, um, their meritocracy, you know, or their <laughs> <Meritocracy>. criteria. <laughs> yeah. No, just like their um, agendas, I mm-hmm. guess. And she, um, yeah. and they, sorry, are really trying to just like make their own version of what it means to be beautiful and what it means to live a meaningful life, mm-hmm. you know. That is, that is true independence. Yeah. and true strength, I think, great. honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, should we get on to our cultural consumption? Let's talk about, yeah, yeah, Helen. Why don't you kick us off with what you have seen this week? Okay, so this week I've been binging. doesn't really need to binge because there, there were only eight episodes. Eight, I believe it was eight. Heartstopper is a British LGBTQI drama, teenage drama. I don't know what to say about this. I had high expectation of this. Um, it's a teenage soapy romantic drama. It's an adaptation of Alice Osman's graphic novel about a 15-year-old boy falling in love with someone who is trying to figure out their own sexuality. It reminds me of Never Have I Ever, honestly. The cast, mm. the everything, the school ground. But okay. it's just yeah. the difference is it's, um, it's based in UK. Oh, okay. So... The friend group of the main character, there's an Asian, <laughs> and there's a black person who's a trans, and oh there's God. another Talk white about dude. minority pushing yeah, to it's, the side. It's kind of like pushing the minority characters into the TV series, but they don't have a big part of it. But again, of course, because it's a white person's um, creation. I actually wish more there were more lines for Olivia Coleman. She did she had a character, she had a small role of a as a mother of a of a bisexual boy. Oh, okay. And yeah, yeah. I love In this show. In the show, yeah. So there okay, there wasn't yeah. much love Olivia yeah, Coleman. She's she's brilliant, but there wasn't much of her. She could have I think there could have been more lines that offered to her to do. But I guess that the the main intention was that they want to showcase the romance between the teenagers rather than the parental kids relationship sure, sure. where it finally happened at the very uh final 10 minutes of the whole series um right i love the relationship of charlie who is the main characters um his dad and his sister um the dad really there wasn't much appearance of the dad dad only really played a small part of it but um every scene when Charlie goes out with his friends, you know, as like all the teenage, normal teenagers do. He drives him to a shopping center or a, a party, a cinema. He always leaves a, a line saying that, um, call me if you need me. And I, I think that is really sweet because the dad knows that his son's been bullied in the past, coming out mm, as gay. Yeah person and yeah. also the sisters are always really supportive but again I, I think it's kind of like over romanticized of ideas that all families are like that um for yeah, gay people yeah. it kind of creates a mirage rather than reality i don't really think that happens to everyone yeah totally but at, at the same time i guess the negativities at the schoolyard was enough that the creator need to have a balance to have a better image of the family yeah brilliant yeah. Um, so you finished the whole series i finished the whole series i think it's something that's just you know oh, something sweet and small to watch you can go through yeah. within two days yeah 
Yeah, wow. I have no um, recommendations this week just because I don't remember. I, every day I live my life and I can't remember what I've done. The <laughs> I know, this has been my week day. as well, yeah. <laughs> so um, I uh, don't um, – what am I reading now? I think I, I'm trying to tackle crime and punishment, to be honest. Oh, my God, really? My, well, it's just that my agent is telling me to read it and um, oh, for my for my God. next book, and mm-hmm. I'm like reluctantly doing it just because everything that you know how um, people recommend stuff to me, and I just never, because I'm always inevitably disappointed. <laughs> I just hate it, so I hate being disappointed. So, mm-hmm. but I feel like I do have to tackle this. Um, uh, what was there something else you wanted to mention? I think you had yes. a couple of books. I have uh, a trilogy of summertime. Uh, it is record like you said. I don't know about recommendation, but uh, the algorithm on my ebook recommendation, which I'm by subscribe, is a Chinese. It's a Chinese um, service, the bookshop. Um, they recommend a trilogy of summertime a couple of months ago. It's written by a Chinese writer called Kevin Chen, Chen Shihong. I spoke to, to, about him a couple of weeks ago, but on the podcast. However, I, I thought that I really spoke badly, so I deleted that part. Uh, so okay. today, um, I want to talk about his actually his the first volume of the trilogy is being translated into English by Darrow Stark, and it's called Ghost Town, which I'm not sure the English title is really equivalent to the essence of the Chinese title. It's more like if I'm gonna translate it myself, it's more like. The damned place or the cursed place, sort of symbolizing the birthplace of the main character as the cursed place of many unfortunate incidents that had happened due to the conservativeness of the people in a small town in Taiwan. So the story has multiple narratives from different people of a big Chinese family from central Taiwan. I really liked this story. Um, the readers will find out like different narratives from people that are either alive or they're dead. And there are also narratives that present many helpless voices from women of the family. I bought the trilogy a little while ago and since that the first volume has been translated, I really want to pre-order this one for you, for your birthday. It's coming out in August. Oh, cool, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It kind of like um, really talked about the complexity of a big family which we kind of grow up listening to our parents, their own family stories, because both of our parents yeah, grew really. up in huge family, you know. Our, Very our big mom, families, yeah. Our mom's got like... He's one of seven? Seven, six, seven brothers. Yeah, yeah. and my and, dad is one of four. And also um, this complexity of a life of a gay person growing up in Taiwan in the 80s. It's full of humour as well as there's really poignant stories, um also combined with the rise and the fall of economic position that the small town in Taiwan has experienced during the 80s and the 90s. Yeah, so I think you're enjoying it. I don't know how you feel about writing very visually because I think he's an extremely visual writer. He portrays Taiwan. Do you mean like... He, he writes very, like very detailed. Colorful? Yeah, yeah, very vivid. Yeah, he portrays... Oh, that kind of annoys me. <laughs> he portrays Taiwan's small town in a manner that is really, really vivid. And also Desolate. That's really cool. I feel like mm. I might need to read that because my, my yeah. next book is, part of it is set in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to read so it once you arrive. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like you're, you're reading the story. You feel like you're immersed into the actual location. He's a very vivid writer, I think. Yeah, tremendous. 
Um, and the other book that you mentioned was one that I had actually started reading several years ago, but I didn't end up finishing because it was so sad. Yeah. Oh, really? So do you want to tell the listeners what it yeah, is? Yeah, I've started Yi Yuan Li's Dear Friend from My Life, I Write to You in Your Life. <laughs> it's such a long title. Yeah, such, I know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm for long titles, yeah. having had a long title myself. Um. Yeah, so um, basically, this is depressing because um, yeah. the author, she's uh, very well-known in America. Mm-hmm. She's one of those Asian people who, is, who have been accepted by the white elite oh. publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, she, um, her, just a trigger warning, I'm about to mention something that might be um, emotionally triggering for some people. I'm going to be talking about suicide. Mm. Um, so her son um, took his own life when he was a teenager. Um. And this book is about her going, coming to terms with that. She's kind of fictionalising. She's kind of writing her own story, but fictionalising as uh, fictionalizing it as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I couldn't finish this book because I just found it kind of dreary. No, How are you I finding see. it? I haven't... I, I still don't understand why what she's writing about, honestly. I think it's because I'm, I don't have the concentration to just mm. read what she's writing. I'm up to the point part yeah. where she's talking about her journey to Ireland attending the writer's panel. But she does put a lot of references. I don't know. I'm assuming that she's much older than us. So there are a lot of references I so, that yeah. I don't follow. So I'm just slowly going through the book at the moment. And I feel like it's yeah. one of yeah. those kind of Joe Didion kind of emotional type of book. Maybe. Yeah, yeah maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about representation economy. What is it? And what kind of encounter has Helen and I <laughs> in- felt about this yes. in our past? We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. Now, I want to highlight something to our listeners. Um, the The reason and the way we came across the idea of representation economy is from an interview that was published in a newsletter that um, I subscribe to. Mm-hmm. Now, the newsletter is from Karen Mock, who offers a a newsletter, a weekly newsletter that is published on Mondays, and it's called the Care Package. And the Care Package is a Monday newsletter that centers the stories of Asian women in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week is issue 94, and Karen has an interview with Frankie Huan, who's a Chinese-American writer, editor, and illustrator, whose work focuses on diasporic identity and feminism. Mm-hmm. And when I read this, Helen, I was like, okay, what is this? Because I've never heard of mm-hmm representation economy. And so basically it came from a set of uh, a series of Frankie's tweets from March. And I'm just going to read the three scripts, the tweets that she wrote, and Mm -hmm. then kind of detail more about what exactly it Mm -hmm. is and then talk to you about it. So Frankie says, this is a touchy subject, but I want to talk more about representation economy. I don't like being told that if I don't go out on opening night to help make gold open happen, uh, and I'm I'm, I'm assuming gold open is like some Asian-led project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe a studio executive will pass on a great Asian-led script or cast fewer Asian leads or whatever. It's emotional blackmail. Mm -hmm. I love supporting Asian-American shows and films, but I also really chafe at the idea their individual success, regardless of their quality, all contribute to proving to Hollywood that money 
Hollywood money that Asian content or talent ha- is bankable. And then she asks, how do we get away from this exploitation model? Mm. So I guess when I read that, and then Karen's interview with Cranky, where she says representation economy is like a progressive politics surrounding representation for marginalized groups as it becomes more mainstream mm-hmm. there's a market for it you know yeah. and representation economy is made possible by people who isolate the mainstream palatable narrative of what it means to uplift marginalized groups and then fuse that into their marketing communications and branding to capitalize on the money of said marginalized people uh, this, I'm taking this quote for quote, quote word for it from Frankie's interview. Um, that was really complicated. <laughs> I have to kind of read it twice and uh, yeah, so try that, to interpret yeah, it myself. Exactly. Well, exactly. It's basically saying what you and I were saying before about people in disabled bodies that are being used, you know, in Australian Fashion Week because it's like a mainstream palatable narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, we've ticked the boxes. We're not, in, we're not just like focusing on skinny models. It's it's exactly the same thing, I'd mm, say. I see. And I interpret it in a way that so there are two steps to this. Is it okay? Like, yeah, go ahead. Um, acquiring uh, the marginalized narratives or people and try to uplift them, and then combine that into marketing and branding and also influencing, which result in capitalizing through those narratives. Is that what it's trying to say? I think it's essentially yeah, in the ostensibly, end, like absolutely. making money from marginalized groups and also well it's like what's trendy right yeah what's trendy yeah and, and this what's is something work, I, work I, trendy work exactly yeah and this is what i heard um so beautifully detailed from a panel discussion i actually sat in the audience mm-hmm. on monday at australian fashion week and the uh, the panel discussion was around diversity mm-hmm. and on um uh, jesse sadler who is the one of the founders of christina stevens the fashion label i mentioned before she was on the panel but mm-hmm. so was um leandra and i don't know her surname it's very long and i can't pronounce it um, so shame on me but she's an indigenous woman who designs Leandra Swim it's a swimwear company that uses prints from indigenous designers mm-hmm. and she was so articulate like she was very very strong and well spoken and she was talking about how whenever she collaborates with someone mm-hmm. if it's a non-indigenous brand she always asks them why are you doing this because it's just for the one dollar for you mm-hmm. are you doing this because it's like trendy yeah. to have indigenous people mm-hmm. but like it's trendy in 2022 are we still going to be trendy you know in like 2025 yeah it? exactly like are you just going to use us for your own market capitalist mm-hmm. agendas you know and it's the same thing here when frankie talks about representation economy it's all about the way in which like she says it's commoditization of certain tropes mm-hmm. you know it's stereotypical tropes that yeah. they see is able to make them an extra dollar yes and but like it, at the end of the day it's like who is losing out and it's often us mm-hmm. it's often the people of color it's often the marginalized people mm-hmm. who don't get any power in the space mm-hmm. i yeah. found it interesting that she started off with um talking about the sexualized asian of asian men yes asian men she's yeah. specifically pointing out how the past few years um, even so comparison with the white films you know we talk i think she's purposely pinpointing on Simu Lu and yep, what's his yep. name Henry Golding you know? uh, yeah who's basically white can I just yeah, say he just uh-huh. looks like a white dude he doesn't look Asian at all and understanding that there, my understanding is that there is always an issue about ob- objectifying human of any gender basically you know mm, yeah, yeah. and I feel like also it's that isn't that like a process of very basic 
primitive human beings to go through. I'm not justifying that it is the correct way to do to uplift um, Asian male images, but in the past, the Asian male images that we've seen has not been widely accepted, and it yeah, does absolutely. seem like always been the most popular method to attract the wider audiences is. Is by sexualizing them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Is is through sex. Basically. Yeah, it's through sex, and you can't really deny that most humans are basically attracted to the, to the visual presentation of anything. Absolutely, you know, and absolutely. Um, I used to think that the moment, like when I was growing up, whenever I saw a Asian model mm. on like the bus stop, like the bus ads, okay. I would get kind of like. I'd feel good about myself because I'd be like, oh, yeah, like that's an Asian face. That's great. But like, I really don't care about that anymore. And I don't feel like that serves me any. It doesn't make me more strong in terms of how I see myself because like often the Asian faces are just like, they just look white. Like for instance, Tiffany & Co. Is that what they're called? Is that the brand? Tiffany & Co. You know, the expensive brand. Yeah, Tiffany's. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, see, see how teal? little Tiffany I care color. about yeah. about jewelry and all that. But um, the I think our latest campaign was shot with an Asian, and she's like supposedly very famous. Her name's like Rose or something. Mm. She's like uh, a, a Korean pop star. Mm-hmm. I think she's a K-pop star. Um, but she has a very dull face, and she's got platinum blonde hair, and like she looks nothing like me. So that's like literally, I'm like, how? Like I don't care. How does like, that this doesn't make resonate with you as an Asian? How does that strengthen? Yeah, yeah the whole cohort of Asian people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Like it doesn't bring anything to me and the wider Asian community. You know, she just looks like one of them. Yeah, I think what um, Frankie Huang was trying to focus on here is that we still need to question like whose power to decide what is mainstream narratives. Like, exactly, what is being accepted. Exactly. Uh, again, it's exactly. my majority, and are those marginalized nar- narratives falling for that kind of power, or isn't is needed to lean into that power to be accepted? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I I want to focus on just one point in which the conversation turned mm-hmm. in the interview between Karen Mock and Frankie Huang. Karen asks Frankie, one of the complications of defining a representation economy is that. It's now spread across so many outlets. So like Hugh and Helen, who you and I were saying, mm-hmm. not just critical reviews. Um, social media has become a platform to cancel or support certain types of representation. Goldhouse has certainly emerged as a major player. Do certain platforms have more currency in the representation economy? And Frankie answers, there's certainly more power in the hands of deliberate players, the ones who are thinking about growth, paid partnerships, scaling up and profit. They are very good at taking a strong popular narrative from the community and distilling it into something more marketable. A slogan, an icon, visual identity, consistent tone, such that the everyday person can't see where the community aspects of it ends and where the ad campaign begins, which is so clever. Basically, um, basically she's saying, Frankie's saying, like, the lines are so blurry now because we don't know who's actually being uplifted by a certain campaign and who's making money out of it mm-hmm. you know who are the being exploited who's being exploited who's being the one taking advantage of the situation and like the lines are very blurry and that becomes very dangerous because you don't no longer know what is like um being sold right like people's stories exactly and then what is like unsellable mm-hmm. and the same thing people's stories i think a lot know, of like, things has been commoditized or capitalized i can see a lot of Asian platforms. Uh, let's, let's speak about Asian American platforms because I'm not yeah. aware, or personally, I'm not aware of anything in Australia that has gone up to that 
level yet, and I'm just gonna beep out <laughs> this platform's name, but I'm gonna tell it just secretly. Yeah. Um, beep <laughs> the podcast okay. in the US. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like that uh, that sort of platform has created a market that is really palatable, palatable to the certain cohort of Asian community in US. And that is almost like B <laughs>、oh, <yeah> . in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> See, we're so、oh, poor,、yeah. we can't even do the special sound ourselves. Yeah.、Um, <laughs> so you get the idea. You know, it's almost as yeah, they're they're Asian, but they're doing exactly what the oh yeah popularized platform that are doing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they're white. Yes, they're white basically. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, Frankie goes on to say that、um, this is something that resonates with me. She says, when we talk about the capitalist nature of representation economy, we have to think about how it actively rips us off.、Mm-hmm. My parents used to say we have to work extra hard so that people will employ you. So then, when I was young, I thought working hard was my superpower. But when I got older, I realized no, my superpower is putting up with being ripped off.、Mm. That is so like ugh. She goes into thought, the discussion、yeah. of how that the main economy was never included people of color. Oh, exactly. You know, discussion、exactly. of economy was never included of people of color, or maybe specifically people of color who are in the minor. I wouldn't say minority, but almost as if hasn't been accepted into that.、Uh, again, I'm going to use the word wealth wealth bracket. Yeah. To yeah,、exactly. be involved in the in the talking of the economy of how it actually would uplift the whole group rather than the very top tier of Asians, I guess you know. Yeah, exactly. She mentions one place like it's great that Shang Chi is you know kids are growing up and seeing an Asian dude,、mm-hmm. you know, saving the planet. That's、mm-hmm. tremendous. I I don't at all for one second diminish the power of that. Um, however, conjointly on the side,、mm. um, are, are Asian elders going to be safer on the subway?、Mm. Like, are there actually、um, policies in place to help the marginalized Asian group in、um, f- in Flushing?、Mm. You know, for instance, who are so、yeah. um, disadvantaged by social policy and、um, you know, like just、um, the lack of fund housing for a lot of migrant groups in. You know the sub boroughs of New York City.、Mm. It's just like so many people who. Whose realities、uh, mean that they don't get a lot of what someone who isn't Asian or isn't,、um, you know, in a lot, you know, very wealthy background from a wealthy background can, you know,、um, can access all those things like kind of like social funding and social infrastructure. Like, where is all of that? That、mm-hmm. that at the end of the day is what we need、um, to keep us safe. You know,、mm-hmm. marginalized people, refugees, migrants, and all that. Yeah. It's hard to talk about, isn't it, Helen? Because like we're we're celebrating one thing and also recognizing that despite the celebration, so much still needs to be done. Yeah, when I read that part, I, I do wonder if she's questioning those who had become popular in the white dominant industry, for example, the film industry. If they are doing enough, I don't know if she's questioning them. They're doing enough to raise the awareness of, like, say, for example. Anti-Asian hates, or if they're doing enough to benefit the Asian Americans, apart from showing off their body and their face on silver screen, like it does、mm. make me wonder. But at the same time, I feel like there are 
other Asians in various of industries, occupations and positions that are doing what they can do to improve the lives of Asian diasporas. You know, you can't really... Sometimes I do question that, is it too much that we're asking a popular Asian to do everything? <laughs> it is a bit difficult. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Have you yourself ever thought, like, um, have you found yourself being exploited by representation economy? Like, have you ever thought, oh, I better do this just because, you know, there are no Asians here, so I better kind of step up just cause, because I'm Asian? I don't know if economy plays into what I'm about to say, but I do feel like because I'm living in the area which is very predominantly white, citizens and more elderly citizens and I do feel like for example the charity work that I do with guide dog I don't see a lot of Asians in them in you know a lot of events and sometimes I feel like oh I should turn up because I'm one of the minority Um, I feel I certainly get I know when someone um, only wants me on well, just because I'm Asian. I have I don't think I've explicitly felt that, which is like good. Um, but I think you can. I think if you are a listener and you get the sense that you are sometimes like at risk of this happening, I'd say just trying to trust your gut. You know when someone has, mm-hmm. you know you know when someone has your best interest at heart, and you know when when they don't. You know, mm. um, it could be like the way in which they engage with you. It could be the questions they ask you. It could be the amount of money you're getting paid. All those things, yeah. honestly, you you just, yeah, you just know. I think you just listen to your gut and and talk to your fellow POC um, advocates and um, allies. You'll know when you're being exploited and when someone has their your interests at, your best interests at heart. Can you hear that? Yeah, I can see oh you. Oh my god, that's of that. atrocious. Yeah. There's drilling going on in my apartment. Um, but, but oh, it's still going yeah. on. <laughs> but I want to say, Helen, um, like for instance, this um Australian Writers Guild, right? Um, mm-hmm. conference yeah. that I went to last night. So um, at the end, there was a Greens candidate for Wentworth, who wanted a picture because he said okay. like a picture of the entire gathering, which was like about fifty people. There weren't many, actually, maybe even less, maybe twenty people. And um, okay. yeah, it was just a, a, a panel discussion followed by candidates for Wentworth talking about because it happened. It took place in Cheval Paddington, and so there was the Independent, the Labor, and the uh, Greens candidate for Wentworth. What we're talking about why they should be voted, and at the end, mm-hmm. the Green senator was like, "So it's a political campaign yeah, exactly, after yeah. the writers' panel." Yeah, I know. <laughs> At the end, the guy was like, can we have a picture? And I didn't really want to go up to have a picture, but I thought, well, nobody is a person of colour here. I better just be there. Yeah. Just because I want to represent like... Asian people, even though I yeah, was like, I know. honestly. We're caught in a dilemma, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're, you're caught in a dilemma that you don't know whether or not that it is beneficial or oh, just do it for the sake or otherwise there's no one else would yeah do exactly it. exactly sometimes you know i just I mean? have to step out of my comfort zone in order for the greater good so mm, to speak mm-hmm. I, i'm not being deluded mm. and thinking you know i represent all asian people i don't but like i just thought they need to see that there are that people of color exist you know so yes. i was like i'm gonna be in this picture yeah. it is still very hard i think because the majority of what you see on media are still dominated by white people. So again, if we don't do something, 
you either wait for other POC to do exactly. it and you never know when's that, when that it will happen. Will exactly. Be happening. Don't yeah. wait. Like I waited my whole life, Helen, to watch a story or read a book where the, the Asian female is like, just like, fuck mm-hmm. you all white people. And then nobody wrote that, so I wrote it. <laughs> like I really, literally wrote my first book because I was angry about the fact that just mm. nobody was writing the kind of book that I wanted to read. That's all. Mm. It's really no big deal, guys. I think Australia, we have the scale is that is very different to US. So I think Frankie will be able to talk about the proper representation rather than just represent mm, for the exactly. sake of representation. Exactly. She also goes on talking about, you know, how to organise Asian diaspora as an only institution rather than a performative representation on mainstream platform. It's almost trying to what she's talking about is that signaling to the white establishment that we don't need you exactly but i think the u.s has that type of scale of asian americans but we don't have that quite sure exactly yeah we're not i mean just population wise yeah and also just sheer number of people right there Mm -hmm. compared to here it's incomparable i mean we still have you know, microaggressions, I mean, it, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen in the US, but this is going to lead to me talking about the news piece that I've just forwarded to Jess before our recording. Oh yes, I did watch, I did watch the video by the way, <laughs> Helen. And I just have to say before we talk into it, talk about it, um, this is exactly why I don't follow politics. I hate it so passionately. It... <laughs> I hate I it. Just, the, the, the moment I saw that video, I just mm. felt ill and i was like this is why i avoid politics as though it's like um i don't know a <laughs> rapist like i'm it's just i hate mm-hmm. politics so much i would run a thousand miles away from it just because we have freaking karens like this that yeah but it is sick. unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah go ahead you know who the karen i'm talking about is but you go ahead yeah but unfortunately that if we don't if we don't have people like sally c2 coming out to represent like we we're gonna be continually continuously to be invisible in this society, so the news that I'm talking about is that during uh, this week, we've seen a lot of political campaigns from a lot of parties on media outlets, and specifically, I am speaking about the radio conversations between, I think their electro is Reed, which is the inner west of Sydney between Sally C2 who is representing Labour and Fiona Martin who is representing Liberal and in the short clip of about 50 seconds of the video we see that they clash on um, Fiona Martin's mistakenly I think Fiona Martin is pretty much that she is literally she has literally mistaken Sally yeah. Situ as another Asian yeah, too Australian, Tulay, who was supposed to represent Fela, the area of Cabramatta. Yeah. But she was um, ousted. Kind of like ousted by Christina Kennelly. Which is just in by itself. Uh, it was really atrocious. Yeah, it was atrocious as well. Anyway. Thing, honestly, yeah. But then again, it's like a, another. You have one Asian Australian being removed and then having another Asian Australian being mistaken by another yeah. white woman. Oh. It's like, I don't know how to... It's, it's a repetitive harmfulness. Oh, yeah, totally. I think it's a it's repetitive disgusting. attack. Repetitive attack on Asian women yeah. in yeah. Australia. 
you know, it's pathetic. And she denies that she has mistaken. She's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mistaken you, you know. Oh, you're... God, just say it. Just own up to yeah, your fucking Yeah, I know. Mistake. It's Jesus just God. own it. It's so stupid. It's disgusting. I, I want to say things, but I have to say them off air. <laughs> Dope. Eh? I know. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I was so furious when I was watching that video. I'm like... Are you fucking kidding me? You're on a campaign and you have no idea about your opponent's yeah. background and you've mistaken her for another Asian woman and you refuse to own up to it. Yeah. 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 So um, wrapping up, any final thoughts about representation economy, Helen? Oh, it's so complicated, but I think it's also good that we open the conversation and explore the possible... I don't know if there's I, any possible solutions to it. It's I just a, want, yeah. Pro, it's it is a ongoing process. I think. Yeah, for I everyone. would just like um those people who are not white out there, who are listening, to be very cautious about who you collaborate with and who, mm. what what kind of jobs you take on, and what favors you do for whom. Like, just be very mindful and always feel free to say no like feel confident in, in saying no to something honestly um it's it's your you you will garner strength by s- stepping away from things you know deep down intuitively will not serve you and what you stand for and your mm. uh, anyone who doesn't recognize your humanity is not worth one second of your time mm-hmm yeah I think that's very true, but on the other hand, I'm going to play devil's advocate again. Like, people need to... It is a privilege that when you can make a decision. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I agree, I agree. Some people just can't afford, yeah. Can't afford to say no. Yeah, Yeah. you're right. You're right, absolutely. Um, Before we end our episode, I just want to remind our listeners that we are seeking our listeners' feedback and gathering some information on what sort of topics that you're... Uh, you are most interested in and in return we're giving away a copy of Juha Kim's Beast of a Little Land for your chance to win please follow the link uh, which I will have it on our show note of this episode complete the survey um, and then go on to our Instagram I don't know what I put it I made it so complicated I should just get everyone to do the survey but um, if anyone who completed the survey you'll be going to the draw to win a copy of the book and that's the end of our episode anything else jess no um it's been very interesting week and i'm looking (laughs) forward to having a bit of a break this weekend honestly yes absolutely yeah so that's the end of our episode remember to subscribe to our podcast on spotify google and apple and give us a five star rating if you would like to support us of what we do here at asian bitches down under head to our buy me coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry please follow us on our insta at asian.bitches.down.under for updates and share with your fellow podcast lovers so we'll chat to you next time yeah stay safe everyone have a great week guys bye